Test, 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 test. All right. Well, good morning. How are we doing? Test, test, test. Now it's on. There we go. Okay, bring me the mic if you would, please. Somebody? Is it on? It keeps dropping. I'll stew with the mic. I just bought a new uh, lapel because this one just doesn't seem to want to cooperate. Oh, you know what? I'll hold it. I'll hold it. Just bring, it, bring me the mic up here. I'll hold it in case that drops. There we go. Thank you very much. All right. So I think we're ready. Are we ready? Yes. yes. Everything works before service. We get up here, we start to teach. It's like, everything goes. Jesus is good. Did you know that? Yes. So we're doing a service uh, series called uh, Jesus Encounter. And one of the things uh, we've been talking about is just really want to expose you to who Jesus is. And so over the last few weeks, we've been talking about that. And one of the things, uh, the most important aspect of Jesus's nature is that he's good. You might want to write this one down. Okay, ready? Get your pens out. Jesus is good. Okay. And he's good all the time. It's literally the cornerstone of Christian thinking. When the Bible, one of the things the Bible tells us to do is to renew our minds. And renewing of the mind is changing the way that we think. And all of our thinking has to begin with what, that God is good because he is. God's good. He's good all the time. We may not understand that. We may not believe that. We may not be in concert with that or in partnership with that. But the fact remains is that God is good. And so in order to understand God's goodness, we're going to have to understand some words. In John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld or we saw His glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So we want to understand a few things here. We want to understand these words, glory, begotten, grace, and truth. I'll give you the first one is begotten. This word begotten is often a misunderstood. It means coming forth. Jesus is the only begotten. He's the only one who came forth from the Father. There's not going to be another. He's the one and only, right? So he came forth from the Father. But we want to understand, in order to understand goodness, this is who Jesus is. We beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word glory, so for those of you that are new to the scripture, I want you to understand that the Bible was not written in English. I don't know if you knew that. Okay? I have my old roommate, when we first came to Christ, he was like, I'm going to get the King James Bible because that's the Bible that Jesus used. I'm like, no, I don't think he used King James English, Troy. I think he used a different Bible. So the Bible was written in Greek in the New Testament. It was written in Hebrew in the Old Testament. And also the Hebrew was translated into Greek prior, about a little, little over 100 years before Jesus actually came. Uh, so they, the, the, trans, the, the foundational uh, languages of the Bible are Hebrew and Greek. And so when you hear me revert to the Hebrew and revert to the Greek, it's because we're going back to the, under, uh, to the original language. A lot of things get lost in translation. You understand that, right? right? We have, we're multicultural Miami, so there's different dialects of Spanish here, I'm told. Right? There's not one form of Spanish. And a word to, in, in, to, to the Mexican in Spanish means something different to the Cuban, and it means something different to the Venezuela, it means different to the Colombian. Everybody's got a different understanding of it. And I'm like, what's the same word? No, it means different things. So in order for us to really understand what's going on, we should go back to the original language. And the word glory in the Greek is the word doxa. And it means divine substance. So we beheld his divine substance. It also means majesty, radiance, excellence, splendid condition. The Hebrew word for the word glory, and this is the most definitive one as it speaks to God's nature, is the word kavod. And it means weight. Everybody say it with me. Kavod. Yeah. It means weight or substance. So when the Bible's saying we beheld his glory, the glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, one of the things it's pointing to is the divine substance. We beheld who he really is. God is showing himself to be who he really is in the person of Jesus. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus is the, in him dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He is perfect theology. He is the perfect expression of God. 
This word kavod is really clearly understood in the book of Exodus. And what's happening in the book of Exodus, chapter 33, is that Moses, God has told Moses to do certain things. Anybody ever heard of Moses? Right? So Moses in the Red Sea, you know, ever, the Ten Commandments. God has told Moses to go and bring the people out of bondage. He's told him to go in, and I want you to do these things for me, Moses, and this is what I want to do. And Moses is like, look, I'll do it. And then he's not only going to bring him out, he's going to lead him into the promised land. And Moses is all in. He's, he's given himself. He's saying, I'm going to do it. But in order for me to do this, I need to know who you really are. I don't really know who you really are. I mean, I know of you, but I really don't know you. And so in Exodus chapter 33, the Lord God says, well, what do you want? And Moses says, show me your glory. And what Moses says here is he uses the word kavod. He says, show me the weight and the substance of who you are. Right? Your pictures on Instagram is not necessarily the person you are, right? Your Facebook profile is not necessarily the, per the person that you are. The substance of who you are, and, and that's both good and bad. People judge us in different ways, but really what he's asking for is, I want to know who you are substantively of, as a person. Who are you? And he says, show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause my goodness to pass before you. So the Lord's like, you want to know the weight of who I am? Well, it begins with goodness. The substance of my nature and the substance of my character is goodness. So Moses is up, up, up there on the mountain, and the Lord's like, you're going to stand here, I'm going to pass before you, I'm going to cause all my goodness to pass before you. What that means is Moses was there for quite a long time, I'm sure, because Jesus has a lot of goodness. There's a lot of goodness that the Lord possesses. He said, I'm going to have my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim my name to him. That's a whole other side of it. God's name is his power. God's name is his, is his character at the name of Jesus, right? God's promises are directly and intimately attached to his name. Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. So his name is very important. He says, I will cause my goodness to pass before you, and I'm going to proclaim my name to you in your presence. And he says, and by the way, Moses, I have mercy on who I want to have mercy on, and I have compassion on who I want to have compassion on. And what he's saying here is, I will be kind just because I want to be kind. I will be good just because I want to be good. Jesus will be kind to you for no other reason other than he wants to be kind. Did you know that? He will be kind to you for no other reason other than the fact that he wants to be kind. He will be good to you for no other reason other than the fact that he wants to be good. Just that simple. We have a wrong perspective of God. We think he's walking around with a baseball bat waiting to whack you on the head the minute you step out of line. That's completely a misunderstanding about who he is. God is constantly working in your direction. Love is seeking the highest good. God loves you. And so his work in your life is to constantly bring you into a position where he can give you what he wants to give you most, and that's the highest good. For those who don't know Jesus, that's the whole angle of the Holy Spirit in their life, is to bring them to a position where they can receive Christ, because for, that, for a person outside of the kingdom, that's the highest good. They need to be born again, right? More than they need food, more than they need water, more than they need anything else, they need to be born again. To the Christian, what the Holy Spirit is doing is to bring you into your destiny, do you know you're created on purpose with a purpose? You were created with a purpose. You're not only created, you're royal priesthood, a holy nation, a chosen generation. You're not only chosen, you're chosen in a generation. You were chosen in this time, in this place, for a purpose. You know it. Instinctively and deep down, you know it. You may not understand what that purpose is. You may not know why. You, you may be completely confused. But the fact remains, you were born on purpose with a purpose. And you were chosen in a generation. God chose you in this generation. You weren't born in the 1800s. You're born in this generation. You weren't born in the 1920s. You're born in the greatest time the earth has ever known. There's no greater time than this time, that, ladies and gentlemen. No greater time. We have opportunities like never before. You say, we have a lot of stress. No, we have a lot of opportunities. You say, it's a lot of work. Yeah, it's a lot of work, but it's a lot of opportunities. There are more opportunities afforded to people than any other time in history. I'm going to share this at one point. In the last 10 years, they've alleviated poverty at a record rate. Global poverty has been alleviated at a record rate. Say, so how do you know that? Because there are certain people that report on these things, and these aren't necessarily conservative or like people that want to say poverty is going away. What, what, what is impacting global poverty and what is reducing global poverty more than anything else in the world is the internet. 
It's true. It's providing opportunity. It's, it's, it's causing nations to rise. It, there, at no other time in history have we eliminated poverty at global poverty at the rate that we're doing now. Everybody says, oh, most of the world lives on a dollar a day. Anybody heard that? They've actually had to adjust it. It's now most of the world lives on a dollar 87 a day. That's just in the last five years. So there's been an 80, almost a double increase. You say it's still a dollar a day. Yeah, but a dollar 87 is better than a dollar. And they think that in the next five years, it's going to be $3.90 a day. That's how fast people, and that's at the lowest end of the economic spectrum, the lowest end. That's the rate of change that's happening. You are chosen in a generation with tremendous opportunity, tremendous opportunity. It's important that you have the right perspective. It's important that you have the right perspective about the Lord, that he is good. It's important that you have the right perspective that not only is he good, but he has something for you, and that you are chosen and born in this generation. Your destiny is intimately linked to Jesus, intimately. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You hear me say that all the time. That's my life verse. Do you know why? Because apart from Jesus, I can't do anything. I mean, I'm completely dysfunctional, and so are you. You just haven't come to the realization of that yet. You're going to come to terms where you can't do anything. You're going to need him in the morning. You're going to need him in the new time. You're going to need him in the evening. You're going to need him all the time. You can do nothing, and he's okay with that. That's the good news. He's okay with you not being able to do anything. He loves you. You hear us say this all the time here at Elevate. You know, God has no confidence in you. Oh, that rubs the Christian the wrong way. What do you mean? He has no confidence in me. I am a man of God. He has no confidence in you, Christian. He has full confidence in his spirit within you. That's why when he tells you to take the mountain, he knows you can't take that mountain. He 100% knows you can't do it. Can we just work this out? Let's not even talk about taking the mountain. Let's talk about getting married. Is there a man in the room? Please stand up, right? If you think you know how to run a marriage, is there a man here, right? And if you raise your hand, I'm going to ask your wife. So we're going to find that out. (laughs) You don't know what you're doing, yet God commands us into marriage. You don't know what you're doing, yet God commands us to have children. Anybody, any parents here want to step up? Huh? I'll give you a better one. Any parent with adult children like to step up? Now we got a full track record. Don't tell me a two-year-old, oh, you know, I, I, I just, I'm just the ultimate parent. Yeah, okay. Your kids too. Tell me that when they're 22 and then we got a problem, then we got something here, you know. Now we can talk. We don't know what we're doing. We need him. We need him to under, help us understanding. We need him in our marriages. We need him in our children. We need him in our families. We need him in our future. You need him. Jesus isn't a portion of your life. He is to be the whole and the sum total of everything. He is everything. He is the all in all. Christianity only works when you commit to it 100%. And you're not committing to a bunch of rules and rituals. You're committing unto Christ, and you're committing unto his spirit. And you're committing to following him. That's the only way it works. You don't play Christianity. You just don't. It's impossible. It's impossible. Paul says we're the most pathetic people in all the world if the the power of God isn't real. If the resurrection isn't real, then we're a bunch of pathetic people. You know? We're living for nothing. We're living for him. But Jesus is everything. He's everything. So he says, show me the weight of who you are. And he says, I'm going to show you my glory, and I'm going to show you my goodness. And goodness, glory, and grace are all attached together. And my glory, the weight of who I am, is my goodness. Next slide. Do you understand that? The weight of who God is is his goodness. Our problem is is that our thinking is wrong. We have false perceptions. You will see the Lord through the filters that you have placed upon yourself. If you perceive him to be a harsh father, then that's going to be how you perceive him. And you will have an inability to receive from him. If you perceive him as distant and far away, then you are going to have a difficult time receiving from him because your perception is your reality. I hate to tell you this. Perception is is your reality. That's why the Bible constantly tells us to renew our mind and change the way that we think because how you think and how you see is your reality. If you see your kid is a loser, then that's going to be your reality. Your perception, whatever things are good, whatever things are pure, whatever things are hopeful, if anything is of good of report, think on that. You have to believe God is good in spite of your circumstances because he's true. The truth is that Jesus is good. Your circumstances tell you something else because the devil's a liar. He's a liar. He's a liar. 
He lies to you and tells you God's not good. If God loved you, then this. So say, that's the lie of the Garden of Eden, ladies and gentlemen. He says to Eve, well, God's keeping something from you because God doesn't want you to have that. Because he knows if you have that, you're going to become what you were supposed to be. He's holding you back. That was the lie. That's the same pattern. The devil operated that from the beginning of time all the way up until now. He lies to us. And he tells us God isn't good. If God's good, why was things like this? If God's good, why did that happen to you? If God's good, then why this and why that? Well, there's a lot of reasons why. And we can blame a lot of things. And there's a lot of issues on a lot of levels. But we're not going to blame the Lord. You can't. Next slide. Here's something. You guys want to, you ever, you ever want to discuss quantum physics in church? Well, okay, welcome to Elevate, right? So we have, <laughs> there's different fields. So physical science, there's a, a field of science called physics, and it's the study of physical properties, essentially. And so what physics tells us is physics tells us that we live in a world that's calculable, that's measurable, but also has limitations, right? So it's length, you know, we, they can measure all the spheres of this dimension. They can tell you what the limitations are of this dimension. They can tell you all of the physical properties of this dimension. But there's another field related to physics called quantum physics, right? And quantum physics studies things that affect the physical world, but they're outside of physics. Quantum physics, and this is true, tells us that there are fields, there are waves that move into this world from unknown sources that affect this world with measurable change. So there's fields that move through this world. There's waves that move through this world that they don't know where it comes from, but they can measure it. But they don't know where it comes from, right? And just three of those things are love. Love is not an emotion. Your emotions is a response to love. That's what love is. It's a response to love. Love is literally a verb, which means it's a movement. It's an action. Love is imparted, and you respond to love. But love is not an emotion. Love, love in, in its essence, is not necessarily emotion. an emotion. Your emotions are the response to love. Okay? It's measurable. They don't know where love comes from. If you ask them, where's love come from? They, they're like, well, we don't know. But love moves through this world. That's interesting. They also don't know where light comes from. Well, light comes from the sun. Light doesn't come from the sun. Light, the, light, light exists without a physical property. Light, is not, light can be measured as a physical property, but they don't know where light comes from. Not, they don't know why it happens. There's a lot of things that they don't know. So they don't know love, light, and another thing is gravity. Gravity is not something that's created. Gravity is a field, and it's an energy wave, and it means weight. So there are things that move through time and space, waves that move through time and space that they don't know where the stuff comes from, but it's measurable and it affects our world. Well, if I just the three that I gave you are all aspects of God's nature. Love, light, and glory, weight, substance. Could it be that God made a world so that he could interact with it? Could it be that God made a world so that his world could interact with our world? It's proven in physical science. You can prove it. It's, well, those are theories, Kevin. Wave theory and, and field theory, they're theories. Yeah, I get it. They're theories, but they're measurable. The only reason they're theories is they can't prove the origin. They don't know where love comes from. They don't. Love doesn't come from us. I just want to tell you that. Have you ever looked at the world? It's not love. It's hate. It's violence. It's pain. It's suffering. Man is very wicked to, to himself, and man is very wicked to those around him. The fact that we see little glimmers of love and we think that's the substance, that's not the substance. The substance of this world is pain and malevolence. That's the substance of this world. And the reason is, is we're fallen, and the world fell with us, but love still moves through our fallenness. Light moves through our fallenness. Weight, substance, gravity moves through our fallenness. God interacts with his own creation in his own world. It's, it's a fact. So he is not only full of glory, we beheld his glory full of grace and truth. So his glory is the weight of his substance and what is the substance of his being. So if the substance of his being is the weight, then what is the weight? And the weight of who he is is he's good. He's good. Good is not defined on your terms. What we define as good is not necessarily God's understanding of good, Right? We want to drink and party and blast our brains out. We think that's good. That's not good in God's economy because he knows it's destructive to us. Our perception of good is, is in relationship to what we understand. His 
truth or his understand his perception of good, which is the truth of good, what is good, is based upon his understanding. He knows what's good. He knows why you're made and he knows what benefits you. And so God is loving you and he's seeking the highest good. And oftentimes things happen to us and we, want, we say, well, God's not good. I wanted that relationship. Why'd you cut it off? <laughs> I wanted that because it wasn't what was good for you. It wasn't for your best. This was not producing life in you. God is good to you. He loves you. There are reasons why Christians don't experience his goodness. And we're going to talk about that. Very clear, very relevant reasons why we don't experience his goodness. So his glory, and then he's full of grace. So I'm going to sit down here on grace for just a minute. Can I, sit, can I rest on grace for a minute? Can I tell you why grace is so amazing? Yes. Is that okay? Here's why grace is so amazing. Full of grace. It's the Greek word charis. Charis. We think that grace, our, the way the church teaches grace is like it's just this nicety. You know, well, it's just this nice thing. It's not, it's not a nicety. It just as a nicety. Grace isn't just something that, you know, is just so far, well, I just received, I just, only by the grace of God. Do, do, what, what does that mean exactly? Does anybody know what that means? I don't know what that means when you say, well, it's by the grace of God. Well, I'm going to tell you what grace actually is. And when you understand what grace is, you're going to learn to partner with it. Grace is what's been imparted to us. Grace is what's been released to us. But few of us understand what grace really is. And if you understand the grace that's been given to you and the grace that's available to you, it'll transform you. The word charis, it means, say it with me, grace is spiritual power flowing from love. That's what it is. Well, it's God's riches at Christ's expense. Okay, that's great. We got an acrostic. We can write that down. We can hold that up. Understand? But it's a little bit more than that. It's spiritual power encompassed by love. It is undeserved, true. It is given, and it is available to anyone who asks for it. Grace is not a thing. Grace is a person. The Bible says Jesus, is, Jesus was full of grace and truth. In other words, he is the fullness of grace. He is the fullness of spiritual power moving with love. That's who he is. He is spiritual power moving with love. He is a person, yes, but the essence of his being, is he, there's his goodness, is spiritual power moving in love. That's who he is. Say, so I'm not too sure about that. Yeah, let's take a look at this. Grace is what saves us. Would anybody in the room want any theologians out there want to argue that one with me? All right? By grace, we're saved. So if grace is actually spiritual power flowing from love, we'd be able to see it in that verse, wouldn't we? Or we'd actually be able to see it in the action of being born again. Well, guess what we do? It's by grace we're saved and not of ourselves through faith. It's not from you. It's a gift of God. So here's what happens. You give your faith to Christ, into the person, the personification of grace, and he imparts something to you. Spiritual power, right? You're born again. The Spirit of God comes into you. Grace is spiritual power as in an act of love moving into you. That's what it means to be born again. You're not saved. Somebody was just asking me the other day, they're like, what do you think of Christians that convert from Christianity to Islam? I said they're never sa they were never saved. It is impossible to be born again and have the Spirit of God and the fullness of the Spirit of God in your heart and believe that there is any other option beyond that one. It's impossible. And if you believe there's another option beyond Jesus, you're, I'm going to tell you right now, you're not born again. And Christ is not alive in you. The witness of the believer is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The reason why you believe is because Jesus is in me. I may not be able to, you, you may not be able to articulate doctrine. Somebody goes, well, why do you know Jesus is real? Because he's alive in me. He's in me. He moves in me. What do you mean he's in me? I don't know. I don't understand it, but his love is in me. His power is in me, and his presence is in me, and is available anytime I want it. That's the evidence of being born again. The evidence of being born again is not what you think. Well, I believe, or my whole family were Christians, and whatever, this nonsense. Intellectual assent doesn't get you anywhere. It's spiritual conversion. Knowledge kills. The letter gives life. Knowledge in spirit is power. Knowledge without spirit, no power. No power. Grace is the spiritual power of God moving in love, period. So when God imparts grace to you, you're in a difficult situation, and he gives you grace. What he's giving you is he's giving you spiritual power as an act of love to enable you to do what you cannot do. That's grace. And it's available to you. That's right. It's true. 
We think grace is just out there and we got to beg for it. Oh, God, just give me grace. Oh, I just need grace of God. And we just stand there going, I'm just in the grace. Grace is power. It's power. The power of God coming into you, that's what transforms you. That's, what get, that's when you become born again. Next slide. We grow in grace. So grace is not a one-time, one-shot deal. You can actually grow in spiritual power. Did you know that? Did you know that? It's true. You can grow in spiritual power. We're given something, and we grow into it. It's the same thing. It's exercising ourselves towards godliness. You're given, every one of us is given a physique, but what we do with our physique, some of us are more buff than others, right, determines the outcome. Every one of us is given faith. What we do with our faith determines the outcome. Every Christian is given the Holy Spirit, but what you do with him determines the outcome. It's true. And the cynics like to critique the ones who actually develop themselves spiritually and develop themselves with anointing. They like to critique that because they themselves are lazy or they themselves are ignorant. And so in their laziness, in their ignorance, they like to point the fingers and say, oh, no, it's not like that. Oh, yes, it is like that. 100%. Grow in grace. What does it mean? We need to grow in grace. You know, we th- this is how we teach it. We need to grow in kindness. How's that working for you? Anyone want to testify? You cannot be kind without the Holy Spirit. You can't. That, that's the duality that we live with. The, in me and my flesh there dwells no good thing. I drag around with me this body of death, Paul said. Who will deliver me? Jesus. I'm not a good person, but in the Spirit I'm a really good person. Outside the Spirit I'm self-seeking, I'm arrogant, I'm divisive, I'm prideful. That's you, that's me, without the Holy Spirit. Well, I'm saved. Yeah, you're saved. Act like a Christian. How's that working? Anybody want to testify? No, seriously. I want you to come up here and tell us what it looks like for you to act like a Christian. It grinds on you, doesn't it? She took my parking spot. Act like a Christian. I'm trying. It's true. It's true. But when you're in the Holy Spirit, here again, When we are in grace, where's grace? We're going to act more gracious, Kevin. I can't. I can't. I get in the spirit. I receive the spiritual power flowing with love. Oh, she took my spot. That's okay. There'll be another one. I got to park on the roof and walk a half a mile. It doesn't matter. (laughs) It's true. See the difference? Totally different. We are so hard on ourselves, and we are so hard on one another, and we're so judgmental, and we're so critical. It's the speck in the plank. We judge each other because we don't think we're acting. Well, you're not acting pastoral. And I always tell people, pray for me. Pray for me. I need Jesus probably more than all y'all, right? So pray for me. I have to practice this because I know it's not you. That's why people go, well, Christianity doesn't work. I can't do it. Well, no, you can't do it. Absolutely, 100% you can't do it. You need the Holy Spirit. You need the grace of God, which is the power of the Spirit given to you and moving in you with love. When you're in the spirit, you're nothing but love, aren't you? You're like love drunk because it's spiritual power moving with love. That's grace. It's available to you. Grace is the format or the foundation of the gifts. We want to talk about the gifts of the spirit. You can tongue talk until the cows come home. But if you're not doing it out of grace, you're wrong. You can prophesy until the cows come home. But if you're not doing it out of grace, you're wrong reasons why we don't manifest miracles and we can't see these things happen because we don't understand the foundation of them the foundation of the miracles is spiritual power moving in love an impartation of spiritual power released in love read how many times jesus healed and he had compassion spiritual power moving in love and we think it's god's responsibility the anointing has been given to the believer And you say, when I pray for people, nothing happens. Well, grow in grace and knowledge, Christian. Grow in that. You need to learn what you're doing wrong, what you're doing right. We condemn ourselves. We're so self-condemning. And when you self-condemn, the devil partners with you all day long. You go, I don't want to do it. He's like, yep, you don't know what you're doing. I'm a loser Christian. Yep, you're a loser Christian. I should just walk away. Yep, you should just walk away. That's what he does. You want a partner? The devil's biggest imitation, right? So we say, oh, the, Satan imitates himself as an angel of light. And people go, oh, if I saw the devil, I'd run away. No, if you saw the devil, you'd want to worship him because he manifests himself as an angel of light. 
a being of worthy of worship. That's how he manifests himself. And you know what his greatest trick is? You might want to write this one down. He imitates you to you. That's his greatest trick. He personifies you back to you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, there's suicide. People deal with suicide, and suicide is a, is a, is a result of hopelessness, and it's a completely painful situation. But people who have kind of overcome that and have dealt with it, they said, suicide always speaks in my voice. There was a voice speaking to me as if it were me, telling me what to do. Well, how many knows that's not Jesus? And chances are it's not you. Self-preservation is the primary human instinct. You're, the, the primary human instinct among humans is to preserve life, not to take their own. Is to preserve their own life. And somebody, but you hear these stories, and they say, well, the, the voice always spoke to me in my own voice. That's a devil's number one trick. And some of you, until you learn that, until you understand that, you're going to fall for that trick over and over and over and over and over again. You have to learn. If he is speaking, if anybody, anything, if I or an angel of light say anything to you that is not congruent with what Jesus said, it's a lie from hell. Anything that's not related to your identity and not just because of you, who you say you are, but who he says he is. Anybody tells you you're somebody that, that God does not tell you, they're lying. And it's not a lie that's rooted in faith or the spirit. It comes from another place. It's true. Anybody tells you you're not making it, who told you that? Told you you're a loser. Told you you can't do it. You might as well give up. You may as well quit. You've gone too far. Nobody likes you. Nobody loves you. Why do you not? You don't love yourself. Look what your dad did to you. You're a victim. Look what this happened. Look what that happened. Who told you that? Who told you that? You are not the sum total of your experiences. You are the sum total of who Jesus says you are. I didn't say your experiences don't have an effect on you. They do. But that does not define your identity. Your experiences do not define who you are. Jesus defines who you are. And you've got to make up your mind whether you're going to let that happen or not. It's up to you. He isn't going to do it for you. He's not going to force you to see yourself as he sees you. He tells you who you are, and he waits for you to respond. And he tells you who you are in a great way, in a way that is so much higher than you. If you were to sit there and you were to say, who am I to Jesus? Who am I to the Lord? Most Christians, this is how we are. Well, we're sinners saved by grace. That's the best we can do. Literally. When we look at ourselves and say, how does God see me? Well, I'm a sinner saved by grace. That's, who God, that's how God sees me. Really? You're a son and a daughter. Not, not, not many people are going to step up and go, I, I'm, Jesus says I'm a son and a daughter without a revelation of that. Not many people are going to say I'm an heir of this life and in the world to come. All of these things are true. So who are you listening to? You have to learn to know and what God has said and begin to, you, one of the verses in, in uh, I think it's Philippians, which says, let this mind be in you. The Greek language is pound it in. Pound this mind into your thick head. Pound this thinking into your thick head. Let this mind be in you. Let the mind of Christ, the thinking of God, the word of God, the knowledge of God, the identity of God, let that be in you. Pound it in. Pound it in. True. Amen. Good, good, good job, Kevin. Good preaching. Good job. <laughs> Grace, grace is spiritual empowerment. Grace is the foundation of all of the gifts. The, grace, the, word for, the word for spiritual is the Greek word charismata. So it says now concerning spiritual gifts, and then it says that, that uh, 2 Corinthians, he said to me, my grace, not that one, that one up there, it says there are different kinds of gifts. There's different types of charismata. Different types, right? So I'm just going to come over here to those who don't believe in miracles, and I want to speak to them for a minute. Those that don't believe in miracles, then you, if you don't believe in miracles, then you've got to get rid of all the gifts. You do, because they're symbiotically connected. You can't say, well, God is still allowing the gift of teaching, but he's not allowing the gift of miracles. Who told you that? Well, my professor in seminary, you need to slap yourself, because Jesus didn't tell you that. The gifts and the callings, there is many charismata. And he lines up all of the charismatics in three different books. We have Corinthians, we have um, uh, Romans, and there's another part of Corinthians that, is, uh, that speaks of the gifts. So, uh, 2 Corinthians. So the gifts of God are the charismata. They is the moving of God, God spiritually empowering you with love. To do what? To be a leader, right? So that's one of the gifts of the Spirit. So don't tell me healing isn't a gift of the Spirit, and, he, and, and, and leadership is. You don't know your Bible, and you certainly don't know how to form doctrine. And the way you're forming doctrine is off. That's not the way you form doctrine. So if, he, if, if leadership is a spiritual gift, then healing is still active too, Christian. 
if, if um, let's see, no, teaching, which is another one we love, we, we, like, we like the ones like teaching and administration and leadership. We don't like the ones like healing, tongues, prophetic. We don't like those. Those we want to shove in the corner. Give them to crazy Uncle Larry there and say, that's, you know, we don't, we don't want anything to do with those. But we will wrap our arms around leadership and we'll do conferences on leadership and we'll do conferences on administration. Yet at the same time denying prophetic, at the same time denying healing, at the same time denying speaking in tongues. They're one and the same. It's charismata. You may not agree with it, but he's not asking you. It's, it's all a part of the moving of the Spirit in love and the power given to the believer, period. So if you are one who says there's no healing, then get rid of leadership. If you are one who says there is no prophetic, then get rid of administration. You can't have one and the other. They're all. It's part of a whole. It's the spiritual power moving in love. God says, my grace is sufficient. Here we go, right? Anybody know the story about Paul? I prayed three times to have the Lord remove the thorn in my side, and the Lord said, my grace is sufficient. So let me blow this one out of the water for you. Everybody says, well, Paul had a healing given to, or a disease given to him from the Lord. Can you show me a verse on that? I'm serious. There's no verse on that. Everybody makes an illusion that God gave Paul a sickness, and so that became his thorn in the flesh. That is contradictory to the nature of God. There is no place in the Bible where it says he had a sickness, other than the fact where somebody goes, we wish we could take out our own eyes and give them to you. And so they say, well, Paul had an issue with his eye. Does the Bible say he had an issue with his eye? No, it doesn't. It doesn't say that Paul had an issue from his eye, and never one time does he say, this thorn was given to me as a physical illness. But it does tell us what the thorn was. The thorn, every time Paul planted a church and he left, Judaizers came in and disrupted the church. And Paul's like, what in the world am I going to do? Every time I plant a church and I move on to the next town, I have these legalists come in and just completely take the believer off track. They spy out their liberty, like Galatians say, and to bring him into bondage. You see it all again. You see, that's why he's writing letters. He's saying, look, Corinthians, these guys, so Paul plants a church at Corinth, right? Plants a church at Corinth. He leaves and the super apostles show up. Literally, that's what he calls them. The super apostle. Well, we're super apostles. Paul's nobody. Who's Paul? Little short guy, can't talk. We are super apostles. Read the text. He's calling them out. And he's saying they preach gospel, but tell them to demonstrate power. He said if they can't demonstrate power, don't listen to them. That's the context. He said they want to be super apostles? Let them demonstrate it for you. Let them show it to you. You see it in Galatians, where he's talking to the Galatian church. He's saying, who's bewitching you? You've been started this thing in the spirit, and now you're coming under legalism. You're coming under rules and regulations. Do you think that coming to Christ in the spirit, you can now fulfill this in the flesh? Same thing. That's his thorn. His thorn is every time I lay the foundation of the work, Judaizers, legalists come in and disrupt it. And what does the Lord answer him? He says, my grace is sufficient. So this is where we get this whole doctrine on suffering with Jesus. Listen, we suffer for Christ to labor to bring the pains of the kingdom into the world. That's where we suffer. We don't go, well, God, I've got this sickness and I've got this disease and it's from the Lord. Who told you that? Who told you that? I'm serious. I'm not saying you don't have a sickness and you don't have a disease, but it's not from Jesus. It's a result of sin, brokenness, and a fallen world. Somebody put it this way. If Jesus was on the earth today, the way we speak about him, we'd arrest him for child abuse, putting sickness, disease, and illness on their children. I had, we had a whole group of people leave here, like 20 of them, whoop, whoop, out the door, over a period of 30 times because we, they, they, they believed that God gave sickness and illness. I said, well, wrong church, wrong church, wrong doctrine. Had hours and labors. Nobody could show it to me from the Bible, of course. It's just how they believed and how they felt. You know, it's what we believe and what we feel. Well, we don't go by what necessarily what we believe and what we feel. We go by what the Word of God says. Okay? And just because God's Word says it, if His truth speaks it and His truth is not your reality, come on, Christian, you know, the, you know this teaching. If, you're, if God says this is your truth, but this is your reality, you press into truth until truth becomes your reality. And you do whatever it takes until you begin to press into the promise and the truth of God until that truth breaks in on you. And what does, Paul, what does God tell Paul as Paul's struggling with all of these things? Paul's struggling to get all these things going. He said, every time I turn around, Lord, they're disrupting. He says, my charismata is sufficient for you. Oh, that's a big difference, isn't it? My spiritual power moving in love is sufficient for this situation. 
Oh, yeah, wow. It's not sit on your hands and, well, the grace of God. It's just the grace of God. Grace is not passive. It's active. It's powerful. It's moving. That, 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 that teaching right there is it's the same one to say, well, Paul, Jesus knocked Paul off his donkey. Have you read that story? There's no donkey in the story. I hate to tell you that. Paul wasn't riding on a donkey. He was knocked to the ground, but he didn't get fall off of a donkey. Well, God just knocked Paul right off his donkey. I'm like, really? Where's the donkey? I've read this story a hundred times. I've never seen a donkey in that story. It's the same type of stuff. We, we, we teach stupid stuff, and we don't understand it. We're to teach the people well, and to teach them to understand the principles of the kingdom well. Well. Know it well. Spiritual power is available to you. You're going through something, and you don't know what you're going through. And you're like, I don't have it. I can't overcome this. You need the spiritual power of God to moving in love to give you the ability to do what you cannot do. That's it. And he'll give it to you. It comes in the form of peace that passes understanding. That's spiritual power. That's grace. It comes in the form of knowledge and wisdom. It comes in the form of opportunity. We'll talk about that in a second. Grace leads to repentance. The kindness of God leads you to repentance. It's true. So what does this mean? So the kindness of God, the grace of God, the spiritual power of God wooing you to himself in love, that's the unbeliever. But to the believer, there's a repentance that's required of the believer. I don't know if you know that. We think repentance is a one-shot deal. Repentance is a lifestyle, ladies and gentlemen. Repentance is changing the way that you think, but it's also returning. It's the Hebrew word teshuva, and it's the Greek word metanoia. Metanoia is to change the way that you think. I prefer to emphasize teshuva because teshuva means return. Repent, you can think certain ways, but until you surrender, means nothing. It's true. Repentance, there are areas of your life that you need to repent in. There are beliefs that you need to repent of. I didn't say you weren't saved. Being saved and being born again is different than this type of repentance that I'm talking about. You own, and there are lies that you believe. You believe that God's not good. You need to repent of that. You believe, you believe that you are sufficient in yourself. You need to repent of that. You believe you have a better idea than Jesus does. You need to repent of that. There's lots of areas in your life that you need to repent of. And repentance is returning. Returning, Lord, I don't know anything. I give it back to you. Lord, I've made a mess of it. I give it back to you. Re give it to him and then change the way that you think. See it differently. That's the essence of repentance. And because God's repentance, it's his kindness, his goodness. He's good. That's why you can give it to him. He loves you. That's why you can give it to him. And that's why you say, I'm going to give it to the Lord because I know he's good to me. I know I'm going to bring this to God because I know he's going to help me. How do I know this? Because he's good. And so that goodness, that knowledge of his goodness, that understanding of his goodness leads me back to him. Can I get a witness? It's true. Grace is divine influence that results in favor. Anybody want favor? It's found in the spirit. You want gratitude, joy, generosity, kindness, power, and strength. Grace is a power reflected from another world beyond our own. Next slide. It's true. Jesus is good. It's the weight of who he is. It's the source of his goodness. Source of his goodness is his, is his grace. It's spiritual power moving in love. His love is seeking the highest good. Jesus loves you. He's seeking your highest good. What God is doing, some of you feel cornered. You feel like, I keep trying to go this way, and I keep getting boxed in. Just like Moses, God put Moses in the cleft of the rock. Sometimes the Lord is positioning you and getting you into a place that he can give, so that he can give you what he wants to most give you. Problem is, is we're not cooperative with him. You know, sometimes the Lord is trying to maneuver us and reposition us in order to give us what we've been asking for or what he most wants to give us. Psalm 31, how abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who honor you? Hello. So you all got storehouses of goodness. You do. It says it right there. You honor the Lord. He has storehouses. You have some upgrades available to you. And, he and he want, God wants to bestow them on you, this is what it tells us, in the sight of all. He wants to bless you in the presence of your enemies. That's what it tells us. That's what God wants to do. His desire is to bless you. His desire is to bring you goodness. The biggest problem is our lack of cooperation. That is the biggest problem. <laughs> right? Parents, you know what I'm talking about? If we could just get these kids to go along with the program, there might be harmony in the home, right? We can't get the kids on the same page. Nobody's like, like. <laughs> Jesus anointed with power went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed. There against his goodness. And where did his goodness come from? Right there. Where's, where's his goodness? 
Power, right? Holy Spirit and power in the manifestation of goodness, right there, okay? He said, I'm the good shepherd, so we're going to talk about this. This is one of the aspects of what God says he's good at. He said, I'm the good shepherd. I lay my life down for my sheep. So if God is good, if Jesus is good, and Jesus is the good shepherd, it means he's going to, say it with me, rescue, Rescue, provide, provide, and lead. It's a promise. This is only one aspect of what he says he's good for, or he's good at, or, or who he is. Romans says, we know that all things work to the good of those who loved him and are called according to his purpose. Jesus is going to rescue you. He will rescue you, and he will take that situation, and he'll turn it around for your good. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Right? Yeah. He took something really, really bad, and he turned it around and made something good at it. What you thought was going to destroy you actually benefited you and actually blessed you. It's true. He said he's going to provide for you. God will provide all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. These are the promises. Next slide. And he promises to lead us. And I could give you various scriptures on leadership, but I think we get that one. We follow Jesus, right? So he's leading us. Why didn't, why do, here's the question. You guys ready for this question? Why do so many not experience the good of God in these ways? Would you like to know that? Would you like to know those answers? Yeah? Okay, I'm going to tell you a few of them. Number one is we live lives that are off kilter. That's number one. God has, there's a lane of blessing, and he wants you to get into it. Blessing, blessing, you have to align with the blessing that God wants to give you. You have to line up with it, right? So we use a simple one. Finances, okay? God wants to bless you financially. That's an absolute fact. He wants to make you ahead and not the tail above only and not beneath. He wants to bless you. He wants to make you abundant. The problem is, is we don't align with his plan of blessing. We got a better plan. Jesus has a plan of financial blessing. I preach this. Why? Because this is a very eminent need in the lives of people, right? They need financial blessing, yet they do not operate according to God's financial plan through the tithe and the offering. That is his financial plan. According to the measure you meet, it's the measure we give him back to you. Bible says you rob God when you don't tithe. You say that's Old Testament. It's New Testament too. Jesus never rescinded the tithe. I can give you chapter and verse. He told the Pharisees to tithe, but not to neglect the weightier matters. That's New Testament. So don't tell me it's been rescinded. The only thing that's been rescinded is the mandate. He doesn't command it. He wants you to do it by faith. And he wants you to do it as an act of love, showing that you believe him to be your provider. Not because you're constrained to do so, but because you actually have faith that he's actually going to provide for you. Christians want financial blessing, but they won't tithe. Good luck. James, you're double-minded in all your ways. Think that that person will receive nothing from God. God says this, you say that. You're double-minded. Well, I know the Lord says this, but I say that. There's your double mind. And what does it tell you? It tells you when you think like that, you'll receive nothing from the Lord. Nothing. You'll get basic provision, you'll get measure, but you won't get fullness. People are believing God for a better job, okay? You should believe God for a better job. But the problem with believing God for a better job is that he wants to give you that better job, but he's going to examine you in light of the job that you currently have. If you are not faithful in the job that you currently have, if you are not faithful with the little, you will not be trusted with the much. You see what's going on here? It's not an issue of whether God wants to bless you with a better job and a more powerful and a more substantial circle of influence. That's not the issue. The issue is whether or not you are being faithful with what you have right now because that's how he's examining you. And he says, well, if Kevin won't be faithful with this little that I have, when I give him more, it's going to destroy him because the weight of his character won't be able to hold it. Do you show up on time? Do you do your job? Do you complain? Do you add value to your company? Are you part of the solution or a part of the problem? They don't pay me enough to be part of the solution. Stay where you are. Stay where you are. Be faithful with the little. Whether your boss sees you or not, that's irrelevant. Heaven, the believer, your blessing flows from heaven, not the earth. Not the earth. And so heaven watches you. Sin causes us to fall short of his goodness. We live lives that are off kilter. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What's his glory? His goodness. So when the person doesn't come to Christ and they remain in that sin, they fall short of the glory that God intended for them, which is salvation. When the Christian sins, they don't sin unto condemnation. They sin unto destiny. And you fall short of his glory or his good and well-intended purpose. Understand that? So even as a believer, when we go, well, I know God says this, but I say that, you're sinning. 
I don't think so. No, you are. For them who knows what to do, it is right, and does it not, to them it is sin. If you know what to do, and you know what God says, and you refuse to do it, the Bible marks it as sin. Not the sin of condemnation to the Christian, but the sin that causes you to fall short of his goodness. You understand that? We lack gratitude. So number one, we live lives that are off kilter. We live in double-minded ways. We, we, we do. Then the second one is that we lack gratitude. And so if we, by living in a double-minded way, the goodness of God is restrained from us. It just is. We lack gratitude. Why? Because we're self-consumed. That's Romans 1. They neither regarded God, and although they knew God, they didn't regard God in their heart, nor were they thankful. When you live a life where there's no regard of Jesus in your heart any other day than Sunday on occasions, and some of you it's only Christmas and Easter, it's true. I mean, you know, we're just going to sit down on the couch this morning and have a conversation. You lack gratitude. You live a life that's self-consumed. When you show up at church, you know what it tells you? You know what it tells heaven? Jesus matters. That's what it tells heaven. When you don't, and that your consistent pattern is you don't show up, you're, you're proclaiming to the universe and to heaven itself is that the Lord doesn't matter. Oh, I don't know. It's me, Jesus, in your Bible. Read your Bible. It never tells you to do that. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, which is the manner of some. Some. That, in other words, that's not God's intended thing for his sons and daughters, is to forsake the assembling of themselves together. So when your pattern is to not assemble before the Lord, and that's your consistent pattern, you're off. You say, I don't feel like coming to church. He didn't ask you if you felt like it. He didn't ask you. I don't feel like going to work. We're even for five days. I didn't feel like coming. Try that one on your boss. See how that works. <laughs> it's true. What it shows us is that we lack gratitude. We are self-consumed, and we lack honor. You come before Jesus this morning to honor him. I come to receive. That's a wrong paradigm. That paradigm is completely wrong. Because we cannot receive from God until we first honor him. Amen. That's the problem. That's why we get Christians come to church. I'm coming to get fed. No, come to honor and you'll be fed. Amen. If you'll honor him, you'll leave with your basket full. Amen. You'll leave with a barn bursting and a vat flow overflowing if you'll honor him. Enter his gates with what? That's right. Access through honor. So we come to be fed. We're coming, give me, I need, I need, I need, I need. That's the self-consumption that believers have, and they cannot receive the goodness of God because they can't get past themselves. You come to honor him. I give it all to you. Lord, I had a shut-out week. I know it's not much, but I'm giving it to you. Lord, I've had whatever it is. I'm just giving you everything that I am. I'm giving you my worries, my concerns, my fears, my anger, my doubt, everything. I'm giving you my goodness, my kindness, the best of me. Oh, I'm feeling really good. I'm going sailing today. See previous conversation. This is why. Listen, you say, well, Kevin, you're getting, real, you're getting really harsh on it. No. If you want goodness, this is what goodness looks like. If you don't want goodness, then go. Go fishing. Go sailing. And I'm not saying you don't go on vacation or anything. That's not what I'm saying. But the problem is, is that is the habit of the believer. The average Christian attends church 50% of the time. In the last 30 years, it used to be 75%. Now, well, in our modern generation, well, I don't need to go to church. Well, who told you that? You want the goodness of God? Honor God. Honor God in season and out, whether you feel like it or whether you don't. I always tell people, church is like pizza. Even if it's bad, it's still pretty good. You know what I'm saying? You're going to get something out of it. <laughs> Honor creates access. This is why we can't experience his goodness. When you come to God, God's got something for you today every time you come. I know he does. So I'm like, let, get rid of me, Lord, so that I can get what you have for me. So let me honor you and give you everything I got so that I can get, receive everything you have for me today. He has something for you today. We move, and the last one is we don't ask. We don't ask. That's the biggest one. So here, here they are, okay? We don't experience it because we live a life off kilter. We lack gratitude or we don't ask. Most Christians don't ask. If you're going to believe God for something, believe him for something outrageous. I was taught that very young. Come on, yes. Believe him for the moon. You say you didn't get the moon. Yeah, but I got a few stars. What'd you get? <laughs> believe him for something outrageous that is in line with your purpose and in line with his kingdom. It's in line with your purpose and in line with your, his kingdom and his will, and you believe him for something outrageous. Most Christians don't ask. 
Woman at the well is a classic story. You hear me share that one again. Jesus comes up on a woman at the well. She's saying, hey, give me a drink. He's talking this conversation about water. And Jesus is like, well, the conversation about water is just to bring me to this point. He said, if you knew the gift of God that was sitting in front of you, you would ask. That's the key to that whole story. Some people think the key to the whole story is the woman went and brought a revival to her town. Yeah, that's part of it. But the key to the whole story is that you don't know who I am. If you knew who I was, you would ask me. If you knew I was good, if you knew I was generous, if you knew I was kind, if you knew I was lavish, if you knew I only wanted the best for you, you would ask me. When you don't ask and believe God, you know what it's testifying to you? You have the sin of unbelief. Well, we think the sin of unbelief is when we, we don't believe in Jesus and Jesus. No, the Christians are guilty of the sin. The number one sin in the church is not smoking, drinking, and chewing and hanging out with those that are doing. The number one sin in the church is the sin of unbelief. We don't believe Jesus for who he says he is. We don't believe God at the point of his promises. That's our problem. Christians are guilty of the sin of unbelief. Hugely. And so when you're not believing God for something, it's testifying that you don't know who he is. You don't know who he is. My, man, I live a lifestyle of this. How did you know? Because I, life has beaten this out of me. Okay? <laughs> I don't do anything without counsel of the Holy Spirit. And if I do, I know I'm going to regret it. Everything, and I've realized there's things that I need and things that I want. I go, you know what? I'm just going to ask the Lord for it. I'll give you a quick story. You guys want quick stories? It's real short, right? I needed shoes. I didn't have a lot of shoes, so don't give me any shoes. I got a lot of plenty of shoes now. But I need shoes, so I started asking the Lord for shoes. Believe in God for shoes, right? And within about six weeks, I got like a ton of shoes. My wife's already telling me, Kevin, you got to get rid of some of these shoes. Because I didn't have shoes. I'd go to places like, I got shoes on today, right? I, you know, I'm like, I need some cool shoes. I need this shoe. I need a, I'm doing a wedding, Lord. I don't have any shoes. I need some shoes. And it's like, he says, you want shoes? And he heaps them on me. He heaps them on me. It's raining shoes. Shoes are coming from everywhere. It's true. You know what that tells me? If I ask him for anything, he'll give it to me. He'll heap it on me. You say, Lord, I want to be financially blessed. And you know what he's going to tell you? He's going to say, wonderful. I would love to financially bless you, but I've got to deal with your character first. Oh, no, Lord, don't deal with my character. Just financially bless me. You're not getting the financial blessing because he wants to give you the blessing, but he's not going to give you the blessing under destructive terms. He's not. He's not going to empower your self-destruction, but he will bless you. And so what happens, we ask God for blessings. We ask him for certain things. Okay, I'm going to give you one, ladies. We're asking God for a husband. You're asking God for a husband. You're asking God for a wife, but your appetite is wrong. The type of man that you want is wrong. And so the Lord says to you, I want to give you a man. I want to give you a woman, but I need to change your appetite first. Oh, no, don't deal with my appetite. I like the guy that breaks plates and screams and does crazy things. That's the kind of guy I like. Don't change my appetite. Well, then you wonder, well, God hasn't brought me a person because you won't let him change your appetite. You won't deal with the issues that are driving you in that direction. It's true. Guys want the Barbie, right? I love beautiful women. I'm married to one, okay? I'm, I'm down. I get it. But if that's all she's got going for you guys, you're in for a heap of trouble. Like my pastor told me, you're out of bed more than you're in it. Just remember that. Other guys are like, we talking about sex. Is he talking about sex? Yes, I'm talking about sex. Yes. <laughs> We're not grateful. So sin of unbelief, you don't only believe God. You, don't, you believe that God's purposes are greater than not purpose. You believe that your purposes are greater than God's. That's why we live different lives. We're not grateful. We live a life of self-consumption. We're consumers, not communers. Next slide. Why don't we ask? Because we don't know who he is. So what's the solution? Right? Here's some quick and easy solutions. The first one, everybody say this with me. Make a list. So I want you to go home and I want you to ask the Holy Spirit. If you want his goodness, say, Holy Spirit, what in areas of my life are not aligned with your purposes? And he may, he may tell you in that moment, but he may, he may start bringing it up to you over the week. And when he tells you, you're thinking. And then you, you know what the next question, you go, my thinking. Oh, what about my thinking? And then we go in about, no, you have to ask him another question. Lord, what about my thinking? What areas of my thinking? And he's going to tell you your attitude, your lack of self-control. And you'll go, well, why do I have self-control? Because you don't believe that I'm good. You believe you have to do everything for yourself. You, you have an issue with trust. He's going to start showing you all these things. He's going to begin to show you. Our problem is we don't trust the Holy Spirit 
telling you, is the greatest problem in the world. The more I partner with the Holy Spirit, the more I go, OMG. <laughs> where have you been all my, where better yet, where have I been all your life, you know? <laughs> it's true. We sometimes religiously think that we've got this thing zeroed. You don't have it zeroed. You don't have it zeroed. I'm, I'm, around, the, I'm around people who are, would, would consider all, you know, doctoral theologians and all this stuff. They don't have it zeroed. They struggle just like the average believer. And they don't even know how to communicate to you how to overcome. I'm giving you life and teaching you how to overcome this. Make a list. And when he shows it to you, tell him. And then you begin to ask him, Lord, why do I do that? What's the root of that? Begin to, begin to let the, this stuff happen. Realign your purpose with stop thinking. Stop, and here's a real simple one. Stop doing the things you don't want to do the wrong. How do you realign your life? Article one, stop doing the things that you know are wrong. Period. Admit it and quit it, as the old boys say. Then ask the Holy Spirit, make a list, eliminate the issues, and get a new direction. Heal. If you need inner healing, get inner healing. If you need changes, start reading different things. Start thinking different things. Start getting around people. Start going around people with different habits. Then get grateful. Get grateful for what? Any, say it with me. Anything, Anything. and everything. everything. Every morning I wake up, I'm grateful. I tell the Lord I'm grateful. No matter what's going on, I, when I can feel myself going into that struggle, I step in and I go, I'm grateful. I'm grateful. Some of the stuff I feel like the Lord's told me to do, I tell the people and they go, wow, that sounds like a lot of work. When I tell them what, the, what I'm doing, what I feel like the Lord is telling me to do and how I'm going about it, they're like, wow, that's a lot of work. And you know what I tell them? It's not a lot of work. It's a lot of opportunity. Amen. Your thinking is wrong. Your thinking is wrong. If God tells you to do something, and this is our problem, oh, that just seems like a lot of work. You mean I actually might have to put hours in on that? You mean I might actually have to learn something new? You mean I might actually have to work? We, we, I'm telling you, we live with Shazam Christianity. It's true. This is why, especially in charismatic churches, everybody wants to come to the front and get whacked because they think that getting whacked is what's going to change them. It's true. I'm telling you. Getting whacked, okay, boom, you get hit with the power of the Spirit. Fantastic. But if you get up and you're not changed, it's not profiting you. Could it be that it's a habit that you got to deal with? Could it be that it's an attitude that you got to deal with? Could it be that there's some lifestyle choices that you got to deal with? It's not just running to the front and getting whacked. That's why week after week after week after week, you get the same people coming up to get whack, 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 whack. Because they think, well, the power of God's going to change me. That's Shazam Christianity. Anybody remember the movie, Sh uh, cartoon Shazam? I'm totally dating myself. He was a superhero, and he'd go, Shazam, and boom, he'd turn into a superhero. We live out of Shazam super Christianity. We think it's just a magic word. No, it's a, it's a complete reformation of your character, a complete reformation of the way that you think. Is it power? Yes. Is it spirit? Yes. Is it it's all of that, but it begins with transformation. Get grateful for anything and everything. It's not work, it's opportunity. Oh, reading my Bible, that's a lot of work. No, it's opportunity to transform you. Learning to practice the presence and get in the anointing and let God hear and beginning to learn to hear God. Kevin, that sounds like a lot of work. No, that's a lot of opportunity. Just saying. Ask outrageous things in line with your purpose in his kingdom. You ready for this one? Jesus is going to answer you. You're believing God, some of you are believing God for certain things, and you think he's going to show up with the Reader's Digest check. <laughs> Balloons and confetti. That's what we think that God's provision is. God's provision is not just resources. When God provides, he provides resources. He provides wisdom. The Bible says when he gives you wisdom, Proverbs tells us wisdom's more valuable than gold. God can give you gold, but he said if he gives you wisdom, he's upgrading you. So his resources come with, his, his answer comes with resources, wisdom, it comes with instruction, and here's a big one, opportunity. Amen. He provides you with opportunity. I'm going to pick on Jeremiah again, right? So he's believing God, he's giving, he's been tithing, he's been doing all this stuff. He said, Kevin, I just, I, I can't have a job that meets my need. I said, attach your faith to the tithe. Tithe faithfully and attach your faith to the giving. Believe God for something as you give. I tell my son the same thing. Honor the Lord, and when you do, attach your faith to it. Believe him for something. And so he gets a job. He gets a job opportunity. And the opportunity is presented to him, a, a job more, making more money than he's ever made in his life. Like three weeks later, he gets this job opportunity. And I said, you would believe in God? And he said, yeah. But he, did, he was hesitant to step into the opportunity. I'm like, what are you waiting for? You're asking God. He gives you the opportunity. Cross the chicken line, man. 
go there, step into it. Well, I don't think I have what it takes. Well, who told you that? Who told you you didn't have what it takes? True. Simple things that will activate your, your faith in the practical goodness of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Quick note, um, if you're not on social media, please get on social media. Okay? Uh, we've begun, after long hesitancy, a social media campaign. So you're going to see like an absolute blitzkrieg. So if you don't follow us on Facebook, please do. You can follow me. You can follow Sherry. You can follow uh, the church in particular. And then also Instagram. Some of you are Instagram junkies. Follow us on Instagram. And then also YouTube. We have a YouTube channel. You can follow us on YouTube. And it's the, the one that the series that we're starting to post is the Jesus Encounter. That's the first one. So you'll see it. There's an old Elevate channel that we can't get down for various reasons. But anyway. I don't ask me why. Google won't let us take it down. I don't know why. They take down everything else, but when you want to take it down, they're like, no, you can't take that down. Only we can take it down. You can't take it down. It's crazy. So anyway, but I want you to do that. And one of the biggest ways, listen, how many believes we're called to reach people for Jesus? It's true. What this is, the world's attention is on a digital device that they hold in their hand. More than television, that, that device that's in their hand is where the attention is. And Jesus wants to position himself where the attention is. A simple thing for you to be, to be an evangelist or being a missionary, look, we're posting crazy, like all kinds of different formats and different things. We're going to be posting a bunch of different stuff. Find stuff that you like and share it. That's a real easy thing to do. You can literally reach out to your friends with a little click. That's it. Take the post and share it. So we take the teaching. We, we, we're doing audio. We're doing video. We're doing slides. We're doing all kinds of stuff. So if you can't find something there, then come talk to me and say, nah, there's nothing there I can share, right? But do, really, do that. And you don't have to share like you can, I mean, one lady's here, her name's Stella, she's sending me a text. She's like, oh, Kevin, this is great. I'm sharing everything. You don't have to share everything. <laughs> Literally sharing everything, right? But we're posting about 10 times a day. You say, that's crazy. Well, you have to post, and we're posting in scale. So if you don't want to hear about Jesus, you shouldn't follow me because you're going to hear about Jesus nonstop. Right? But we want to encourage you to do that. We want to encourage you to share it with your network. 100 and 100, you're you about three people removed from a million. It's true. So I just want to encourage you guys to do that. I want to encourage you to, to, to take part in that and, and uh, be a part of it. And actually, if you're a, a member of this church and this church is home, we have a, one of our Radical Five principles is live on mission. And so this is, part, this is what it means to live on mission. You're going to live in a, life, you're going to live in a way and a lifestyle that's willing to reach other people. And we try to make it super easy for you. Super, we have a hot dog day. Can you, do, can you invite someone to hot dog day? You know what I'm saying? We have a child day. Can you invite somebody to a child day? That's how we do it. We have, we have a Facebook channel. Can you put like and share? Can you do that? You're living on mission simply by sharing. True. True. Amen? All right, I love you guys. You guys are awesome. Awesome, awesome. Let me bless you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may he give you peace. And forever may you live within his favor in Jesus' name. So we got about 20 minutes in between the services. If you need prayer, there's prayer team available. Please afford yourself of that. And then also check out the India board as well. And then hang out and talk to people until you hear the music start. You're welcome. We love you guys. All right? Blessings.